Welcome to Deep Overstock Presents Origin of Life. This is Robert Eversman. And this is Mickey Collins. Deep Overstock Presents is a new podcast that will feature readings from our quarterly journal, as well as special events. For this Origin of Life series, the authors are reading their own work. This Origin of Life issue is special because it is the start of our second run through from the ceiling of Powell's to the basement, from the Pearl Room all the way down. We do an issue for every room. For instance, coffee, paranormal romance, orange, xeriscaping. And we're right around the corner from our third year of publishing. May 1st, 2021 will mark three years of deep motorcycle releases. This week, we will hear New Wa Makes People, adapted and translated by Su Su, therapeutic epic fantasy by Jonathan Van Bell, and The Explorer by Ben Crowley. Our first reader, Su Su, is a Cambridge CELTA qualified teacher with fluent English and Mandarin, currently teaching Mandarin as a modern foreign language in the British school of Nanjing, whilst tutoring English and Chinese privately. At the very beginning of the world, there was the sun, the moon, and the stars in the sky. There were mountains, rivers, grasslands, and forests with animals on the earth. However, there were no human beings. Nuwa was a goddess with magnificent magic. One day, when she walked along the road, she saw beautiful scenery around her but felt so lonely. She thought something should be added into this world to make it lively, but what? She felt tired after walking so long, so she knelt down to rest by a pond. Then, through the limpid water, she saw the reflection of her face and body. When she smiled, the reflection smiled back. And when she scowled, the reflection scowled back. Enlightened by the reflections, she said to herself, Why don't I make some living creatures like me for this world? At the same time, she scooped some mud from the side of the pond, mixed it with some water, and then made it into a small sculpture. To her amazement, once the sculpture touched the ground, it became alive and started to call Nuwa Mum. Then the child danced and cheered to show happiness for its new life. Nuwa was happy when the creature she'd just created said Mum. She named her beloved child People. The body of People was tiny, but as it was created by the goddess, its appearance and mannerisms resembled hers and were very different from other animals. As Nuwa was satisfied with her creature, she continued to make more adorable small people with mud. Being surrounded by these small people singing and cheering around her, Nuwa felt delighted, and since then she never felt lonely anymore. Nuwa intended to fill up the whole world with these creatures, but the planet was too huge for her to finish her mission. 
and she was already exhausted before she even got halfway to realizing her dream. At last, she came up with an amazing idea to create people. She dragged a nasty lantern and reached it into a muddy pond, then whisked the water into the slurry before splashing it onto the ground. Once the splash touched the ground, clusters of small people appeared, and they were exactly the same as what she made by hand before. Every small creature was jumping, cheering, and calling Nuwa "mum." Now there were human beings in the world, but Nuwa's work was not finished quite yet. She started to consider another situation. What if human beings die? Do I have to create other clusters of them again? Hmm, that's too much work. How to ensure human beings continue survival? It is such a tricky situation. After a long time thinking, she finally got an idea. She made all human beings into men and women, then matched them so they could reproduce. In that way, human beings could continue to be in the world without her intervention forever. That was Su Su reading Lu Wa makes people. Next, Jonathan Van Bell is a copy editor for Outlier.org, an online education platform. He previously worked as a bookseller at Powell's City of Books. Jonathan is the author of several books, all available online, and is currently working on his first book for Deep Overstock Publishing. Therapeutic Fantasy Epic by Jonathan Van Bell. That's me. A. This is the suicide note of Cinderella Fantasine. Imprisoned within this note, like the unopenable Rebenoch in a Matryoshka doll, is a true story with the true title, Therapeutic Fantasy Epic. I toyed with different titles, such as Visions of Hyperborea and Throwaways, Too Bitter and Impatient to Write, Another False Start, Restlessness, Breakdown Fantasy, Beyond the Fourth Wall, and Bastion Balthazar Bucks at 35. But I chose the most throwaway of these, the placeholder name of this word doc. A title I spun impromptu as a mission statement. Therapeutic Fantasy Epic. This is a true fantasy. A chronicle of concrete, non-actual events. Everything happens at least once, my stepfather Kenny once said to me. This story happened once upon a concrete, non-actual time. How do I know this? Depression. The seventh sense. Depression views the world scenery from below and behind, sees the roots and the quiet capillary action of serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, etc. The fairy sustainers of limb and leaf, 
of one life's healthy mint, emerald and shamrock greens. Depression sees fantasy everywhere and fantasizing everywhere. My black widow has such specialized pupils, eight black scrying pools to divine by by dissociation. The black light and nothing else. We eight eyes see all lies. Depression and fantasy are mother and daughter with sixteen eyes between them. As bonus evidence of this story's truth, this story, as I will present it, was presented to me by the Egyptian goddess Sekhmet who nightly moaned to me while I laid awake. She buzzed hatefully around my head. Sekhmet's lioness breath, pregnant with perfume of soured blood, is hot on my face even now. Hot with sacrificial demands, bestial revelations, laments, and... To the savage god, Ashley, or Cinderella, B. What Sekhmet will our fantasy be about. Perhaps it will be about a world where insensate fleshy clones can be printed easily and cheaply for customers, such that celebrities, one's co-workers, anyone whose DNA may be obtained, can be cloned and their insensate clone bodies treated as one desires. Perhaps we follow a protagonist who fucks, then eats his way through everybody he knows. Their clone versions, that is. Towards the end, he hosts a dinner party where each guest is presented with a dish that is, unbeknownst to them, their own cloned flesh, which our protagonist carefully preserved. And he gleefully confesses, I fucked all of you and eaten all of you. Fuck all of you. I fucked you all in brutish ways. The standard orifices along with a few new ones. Or is that too savage? Perhaps a a fantasy about endings. Here is Henry. In his deepest temperament, he had relinquished or perhaps unwillingly lost his sense of buoyancy, of the propitious search for safe, buoyant, important things, that this buoyant sense was missing, that he felt the numb, rhythmic tug and nodded to the good sense, or at least the practicality, of the abyssal depths, did not stir anything in him. Some weights on his ankles, some bindings on his wrists, some opiates or dissociatives in his blood, technical preparations for a plunge, he imagined, sufficient for his purposes. The ocean at night seemed to him more appropriate, Perhaps the sentiment was prompted by a dream he had suffered the week before, in which he felt uncomfortably warm as he gurgled downward. In this dream, the heat of the sun, particularly its light, followed him to the abyssal plain and even increased there on the blind, muddy floor until the most intense heat gathered in the most intense pressure and stabilized into a state of perfect, boiling, airless equilibrium.
as though he were stuck, without even the slightest millimeter of slack for relief, in a vast, pitch-black piece of smoldering glass. The ocean at night, then, seemed to him more appropriate, colder, softer, calmer, perhaps even thirst-quenching, and alas, absolutely bottomless. Bottomless, he murmured, and allowed that final sound, that final word, bottomless, echo down the drain of his memories, most of which had little value or too much. Yet, a story about suicide is too on-the-nose for a suicide note. I need a girl sitting and watching a television show about zoo animals. When a giraffe appears, she crinkles her nose and asks her mom, Is that like a camel? I need a woman with a cup of tomato juice play-talking to a finch that perches on a branch above her. The finch Darts off and the woman sips her juice and rolls her left wrist to alleviate ah, dull pain in her hand. No, no, nothing in media res. I need an origin story. C. Our fantasy begins as every fantasy begins. An author. That's me. Escaping itself. Into oceanic... Uncertainty? Her skiff is cut free. He declares light. But what is light without anything else? With a shiver of cosmogonic morning energy, she begins to dictate, quote, The deeper dreamer interprets the interpretation of dreams and far less the dreams themselves, end quote. Then he erases those first missteps. Quote, Our dreams wash over with faces. Faces with fingernails for teeth and toenails for, for eyes. End quote. No, no. He erases that too, then he tries again. Quote, I wish every art form, every medium, every instance of beauty could rise all at once in one infinite form as one expression and drown me. End quote. She erases that too. Finally, now that he has cleared her conscience, acquiesced to his creative limits, doodled her worst efforts, he can finally, finally proceed to write her fantasy. I can think of nothing more sublime than a universe coming to know itself, only to realize that it will lose itself, will forget itself entirely, will become never was and infinitely less, will slip from its own fading touch to be nothingness again and eternally to know I am this, and without an answer from itself, from its own silent universal body, to die 
in the singularity of its own heart. Do you hear the split of lyre strings? Do you see unfurled in royal ribbons in red volumes? We have no secret name, just a skiff that cuts no wake, no antechamber to blinkless beauty, no communion of family fumes. No pouring forth of returns. Therefore, why do you dwell on the origin? Do you wish to cradle in your arms your parents as newborns? Don't. Learn how to be an animal, banging quietly, gripped by a sorting machine and randomizer in a corner of Gloryland. That was Jonathan Van Bell reading Therapeutic Epic Fantasy. And our final reader tonight is Ben Crowley from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Crowley is happy to get back to writing because he has already paid a kidney, a finger, and a thumb to Deep Overstock and is considering dishing out all three molders. Ben used to sort books for the Amazon warehouse in our beautiful backcountry of Western Pittsburgh. Now he drives a truck, but he's still selling books at whatever diner, truck stop, or seedy hotel he finds himself in. The Explorer by Ben Crowley The Earth. The Explorer climbs a dune, and at the bottom sees a hole. The hole calls up to the dune. Hello? The explorer shifts his feet. Sand seeps from under his feet and chokes the holes. Eyeless, tongueless. I want you to kill me, says the hole. The sun is very hot. There is no shade. There are only the shadows of buzzards. I am the earth, says the hole. It is not my nature to be full of sand. If the explorer lifts a foot, the hole will choke. Please, says the hole. Every day sand runs down my throat. It has been this way a million years. If I kill you, everyone on earth will die, he says. Yes, it says. The ocean. The explorer travels many nights and many miles. He meets a captain and climbs onto his boat. It is fascinating being soaked in rain while riding on top of the ocean. One cloud appears above the boat. At first, it is exceptionally small and bright. I am full of regret, the cloud says. It begins to swell very dark and very large. I have irreparably changed people, the cloud says. Will you rain? says the explorer. Yes, the cloud says, and I will break your boat. The tree. The explorer washes up on an island. The explorer sees a very high tree above a very high hill. The explorer follows the light of the sun up the hill. The tree is obviously the biggest tree. Its trunk is 20 times the width of other trees. I am the tallest tree in the world, it says. The explorer sees the hideous face of the tree. It is peeking out from under an ugly branch. Do not touch that axe, it says. I am the tallest tree there ever was. Leaves fall on the explorer's feet. 
He picks up the axe and loops it onto his belt. He begins the climb of the tree. I'm warning you, says the tree. I'll grow all the way to the moon. The explorer rests on the branch. He can already see the whole island, even other islands far away in the ocean. Still, the tree goes infinitely up. There is no sign of its end. You see that branch up there, says the tree. A dry leaf pops off from the branch under its breath. The explorer climbs higher and finds cuts from an axe. Is the axe so heavy? Says the tree. The explorer unloops the axe from his belt. He holds it in his two hands. The chunks already cut from the tree look like many smiles of much lighter wood. Swing, batter, batter, says the tree. Dark shadows settle over all the trees. The sun is setting. The ocean touches the beach and folds away from the sand. Little birds swell fat in small holes and branches. I need to get a better angle, says the explorer. The explorer begins to climb down. He stops. Covers, cover your eyes, he says. The tree covers its eyes. Do you think I will make a terrible crash? Do you think I will destroy much of the forest? Any houses? You're not abandoning me, are you? The explorer climbs down to the leaves on the ground. He holds the axe against the bark. On the count of three, he says. The tree and the explorer count. One. Two. The tree uncovers its eyes. The axe is there on the ground. No one left to wield the axe. The tree grows endlessly towards the moon. A rock. The explorer wanders through many towns and many islands. He finally comes to a rock. Tap on me, says the rock. The explorer taps on the rock and a golden ring appears. Go on, says the rock. The explorer holds the ring in the sun, but the sun is already setting. The corner of a red blanket appears in the rock. Go ahead. The explorer pulls on the red blanket and the red blanket comes out of the rock. The explorer wraps himself in the warmth the red blanket and lies on the body of the rock. I'm not a rock. Not really, says the rock. One day I will be a man. I will too one day be a man, says the explorer. But I will be a much better man than you, says the rock. That was Ben Crowley reading The Explorer. That's it for episode four of Deep Oversight Presents Origin of Life. And so marks the end of this four-part series of our 10th issue of Deep Overstock. The Origin of Life issue is now on sale through deepoverstock.com. You can also check out our other podcasts, Late Night Poems and the Deep Oversock Fiction Podcast. <laughs>